morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. We, uh, we hope and trust that you had a great time uh, over the holidays with family. Uh, maybe you were out of town as we were uh, making the trek down to Florida for us personally with a three-month-old, and uh, the Lord was gracious to us. So all of you who prayed for us in that effort, we are uh, very grateful. Um, but yeah, we, we hope and trust that you had a good time over the holidays uh, with your families. And uh, my, my name is Ben, as Aaron mentioned, one of the pastors here. Uh, something, too, that we wanted to put before you is that if it's your first time with us or you've been just visiting, you know, maybe a couple of times, we would always love to, to be able to connect uh, with you. And so we have uh, connect cards over on the table um, as you walked in that we would love for you to fill out just so we can keep you in the loop on kind of what we have going on as a church. Um, and then, too, Aaron and I would love to be able to uh, just meet you personally. So, uh, yeah, we'll be on the lookout for, for those of you who are new, and we'd love to invite you into uh, our family here at FBC. So uh, we, this morning, are going to be in the book of Galatians. So if you guys want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Can have the privilege of having a, uh, a one-off week where we're between different sermon series. Uh, and so we'll start our Second Corinthians series coming up here soon. But this week, as, as we kind of start a new year, we just have this opportunity uh, to really bring a passage before us that, that can serve as, as a kind of uh, helpful anchor or, or foundation even for us um, as a church, uh, as Christians, as we embark on a new year. And so there's a lot of passages that we could go to um, but Galatians has so much for us in the way of reminding us of, of gospel freedom that, that we can have, it, reminding us of, of what it looks like to enjoy the freedom of the gospel. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And so Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 11. We'll read down through verse 21. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Here's what it says. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray again. God, we thank you for this word, Lord. We thank you for our brother Paul and the wisdom that you provided him even to provide this rebuke in this passage. God, we pray this morning, Lord, that the truth of this passage, Lord, that the reality that there is gospel freedom on offer for us, available to us, would provide a, an encouragement to us as we embark on this new year, Lord. Let, this, let the truth of this passage be a, a grounding, uh, sort of anchoring reality for us as we go from this place, Lord. And so would you revive weary souls this morning through your word? Would you uh, provide rebuke, reproof, correction where that is needed, Lord? But in all of these ways, God, would you simply show us and, and remind us uh, of how much we truly do have in Christ Jesus, Lord? It's why we gather. We're grateful that we do get to gather, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So we're, we're starting a new year. This is not a revelation to any of you. It's January 2nd. You guys yesterday had your celebrations. You watched your college football games. All the festivities were, were had for you. And, and the new year, it, it always carries this, this promise of, of a new start for us. There's always this energy and this excitement that kind of goes along with the start of a new year. And what also kind of goes along with the start of a new year is, is what I would call and follow me here, the intoxicating allure of the optimized life. This, this new year, this new start, the promise of a new start carries with it this intoxicating allure of an optimized life. This promise that we can work towards a more ideal version of our lives, towards a more ideal version of ourselves. There's so much possibility seemingly in front of us. And so every year as the calendar turns over, it carries with it this, this promise of better living, this promise of, of an optimized life where maybe the, the right life hack is going to lead to better efficiency. Maybe, maybe the, the right diet that will lead to healthier living, the right gym membership that will lead to greater fitness, the right Bible reading plan that's going to lead to increasing maturity and in one's faith. And I'm not here to, to just kind of rail against resolutions. I think they're good and right and have their place. Uh, but I want us to see how oftentimes this, this kind of allure of the optimized life that we sort of buy into, this, this idea of better living through doing more and through trying harder is kind of a spell that we fall under. We kind of allow it to, to lull us to sleep. We kind of buy into the idea that we can read the right books, that we can listen to the right podcasts, pick the right Bible plans, and we buy into the hype. We pursue this vision for our lives. And some of us, we may even experience some level of success in this pursuit. Maybe in one of these various areas of your life, you actually do see the needle kind of move a little bit, and, and praise God for that. There's grace in that. But, but I would also venture to guess that the vast majority of us have eventually abandoned these pursuits. That we've eventually abandoned this pursuit 
for the optimized life where everything is kind of in its right place and we're attaining all that we would want to attain. And we've done so, I think, because it often becomes too burdensome for us. It often becomes too burdensome for us. The demands of this pursuit become too weighty and we begin to feel crushed by our inability to uphold this new law that we have set up in our lives. We're led to a place of disappointment, of disillusionment. And if we have at any point found ourselves in that spot before, we can trust that we're, we're in league with really good company and that we're also in league with many who have felt a similar way about the law of God. That, that we, like them, we, we've set out to keep these laws that we have placed up And as those who have sought to do this before have realized in their pursuit of the optimized life, so to speak, they've only found themselves exhausted in trying to keep this law of God. We too have have felt that in many ways. And so I want us to see this morning that, that as Christians, we should have a different understanding of how these things work. That, that I want us to see that, that better living, that this optimized life, so to speak, for the Christian is not attained through works. They're not, it's not attained through works that lead to us being crushed under the weight of law. But for the Christian, our, our pursuit of Christ in this life, we find success as we die with Christ and live to God. This is what we see happening here in, in our Galatians passage. We see that, that it's important that we see our works in the right light. That it's important that we see that we have access to a foundation that's gonna lead us to freedom rather than to faltering. And so let's see all of this through the lens of Galatians 2, 11 through 21 this morning. First off, in, in 11 through 14, we find a confrontation between two apostles taking place. And so we see Paul addressing Peter, rebuking Peter. He's confronting him over a very specific thing that yet has, has great applicability to our lives in so many different ways. And he's confronting him over his withdrawing from fellowship with Gentile believers in Antioch. He's been made aware of Peter, this, this one who is a Jew, sharing meals with the Gentile Christians. But when, when the Jewish leaders and, and folks come from Jerusalem, he draws back from them. He withdraws from these Gentile Christians. He wants to keep uh, the the Jewish ceremonial laws and and customs regarding what to eat and what not to eat as his Jewish brothers are. And and this matter, which seems kind of trivial maybe on the surface, was, was so grievous to Paul that he uncomfortably confronts Peter in front of all of the Gentile Christians who were present. And his accusation that he levels is that For Peter to withdraw from Gentile Christians is conduct that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's a bold, bold statement. Why would he say this? Why would he be so up in arms about Peter's posture in this situation? Isn't this just Peter having a meal with some friends who are in town who may happen to share his ethnicity And you see there in 11 through 14 that that's not at all the case. That Paul helps us to see something very important. He helps us to see that that Peter's withdrawal from Gentile Christians is a statement about their status as Christians. He helps us to see that, that Peter's withdrawal 
and his desire to keep kosher with his Jewish brothers is actually, it's an endorsement of works-based salvation. It's an endorsement of works-based salvation that Peter is in a sense, in this act, telling these Gentile Christians that they are not full Christians. And he's, he's saying that because they do not adhere to these Jewish ceremonial laws about what one can and cannot eat. He's saying, Peter, you're adding to the gospel. He's saying, remember in Acts chapter 10, whenever I gave you this incredible vision of how the good news that Jesus had come into the world and was offering salvation was not just a message for the Jews, but that it was also a message for the Gentiles. And that it had such bearing on that reality that these ceremonial laws that many of you adhere to are no longer binding upon you. In Acts chapter 10, he, he shows him this very reality. And what he's driving at, Paul here, is he's wanting to say, you're adding to the gospel. You're tainting it in some way. You're adding this law on top of grace, which is not in any way how one should accurately represent the gospel to those whom they are in community with, as Peter is with these Gentile Christians. And so Paul, he's deeply concerned with believers in the churches that he's planted, living in the freedom that the gospel provides. He wants them to live in the freedom that the gospel provides. And the crux of the freedom is found here in, in verse 16 in our passage today. It's this, it's that men and women, whether Jew or Gentile, are counted righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by works of the law. That men and women, whether Jew or Gentile, are, are justified, counted righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by works of the law. He wants these Galatian believers, and, and ultimately, I want us, we, we should want each other today to enjoy gospel freedom rather than being placed back under the yoke, under the burden that the law ultimately is to us. And Paul, he takes great pains to communicate this message, which brings us kind of to, to where I want to take us today. In verses 15 through 21, he shows us two features of gospel freedom that I want us to look at so that we can be those who enjoy the freedom that is in the gospel. These two features are this, that there is one way of salvation in the Christian life and that there is one motivation for living the Christian life. One way of salvation in the Christian life and one motivation for living the Christian lives. And so as we find ourselves kind of at the start of this new year, it seems to me to be worthwhile for us to look at both of these features of, of gospel freedom so that we can have a strong foundation laid for our own pursuit of Christ in 2022. And so first we see that there is a one way of salvation in the Christian life. Look in verses 15 through 16. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The one way of salvation in the Christian life is this. It's that we can be justified only by faith in Christ. That we can be counted righteous in the sight of God 
only through faith in Jesus Christ. The, guys, the scandal of, of the gospel is found in this very doctrine. The scandal of the gospel, that, that there is no work that we can do, that there's no Bible verse that we can memorize, there's no sin that we can eradicate, there's no restitution that we can make that will earn God's favor. This very idea is scandalous to our human minds. It runs counter to the way of the world and to the way that our own minds so often work because we find ourselves in workplaces where merit is king. We find ourselves in workplaces where where it is about what we can do that earns the favor of the boss, that it is about what we can produce that gets us the promotion we find ourselves in societies that value these same things, that, that our working, our, our producing is, is the very thing that, that earns us favor with those who are in power. And yet the gospel comes to us and upends this very idea. And it says, your work is not welcome. Christ says, your work is not welcome. You are incapable on your own of upholding the law, yet I have done this for you and you now enjoy gospel freedom by enjoying the reality that you are justified by faith in Christ alone. I'm I'm thankful even for the way that this removes the anxiety that we can potentially feel for having to keep the law in order to get to God. Right, there's a great anxiety that we can feel. If you've at any point struggled with this idea of works-based salvation, that when you read through something like the Ten Commandments, when you read through the commands even that we find throughout the scriptures, you're constantly confronted with this reality that I do not measure up. And it is exhausting. And it produces this anxiety in us. And yet, in the gospel, in this one way of salvation that there actually is, all of that is, is done away with. And, and this idea of workspace salvation is cut out from under us. Someone you may know from church history, Martin Luther had this very burden about himself. He had this very anxiety about having to keep the law of God in order to earn salvation. And he wrote this about his time serving as a monk. He said, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that anything that I thought or did or prayed satisfied God. He had this guilty conscience from trying to keep the law perfectly and yet realizing at point after point after point that he was incapable of doing so. And when he finally uh, was able to sit with the, the word of God and the Lord was able to break through his heart through his reading of Romans 1.17, which speaks about this very reality of justification by faith. He then wrote this. He said, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Now the whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. He was freed. What was he freed by? The concept that 
his works would never earn favor with God, but that it was simply justification by faith in Christ alone that would bring him into relationship with God that he so craved. And so with all of that in our minds, Peter, in his actions, he's called all of this into question through his conduct that has not been in step with the gospel. And Paul, in verse 21, he goes on and he says that if it was possible to perfectly keep the law and to earn the righteousness that is actually needed to see God, then Christ would not have had to come. And yet the reality is that Christ has come and that he has gone to a cross for the sake of sinners and that he has come back to life, therefore defeating sin and death and all of these things that plague us. And so if that is true, then there is a truth to the fact that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves, that we need Christ to be the one who is our righteousness. And so it's so important as we think about this idea of justification by faith alone, this kind of crucial doctrine of the Christian faith, that we see that, that the demands of the law that we can so often feel burdened under are, are kept by Christ and by no one else. He alone has perfectly upheld the law and if we trust in that, we are brought life. But where we fail to trust in that, where we disbelieve that, we only experience death. The weight of the law remains and the freedom of the gospel is never breathed into our bones in the way that it is when we see that Christ alone is the one who has kept the law. And so in, in all of this, we're helped to see that, that there's really a particular function of the law. And this is just kind of a side note that, that it's not able to save us, but that it is able to show us a couple of things. It's able to show us God's, his perfect holy character, and it's able to expose our own sinfulness and inadequacy to reach his standard. And I bring that up because I think that this is, this is all very good news for, for weary sinners who have grown exhausted from trying to earn salvation. We can now look and see that, that the law that we fail to uphold is a reminder that Christ has upheld it and that we do have hope in his name if we have faith in him. And so the message in there being one way of salvation in the Christian life is this, it's give up. A strange message, give up, rest in Christ's work, be justified through his grace, be justified through faith by his grace. And there's more good news for us in this passage because I think we can kind of see this idea of justification by faith alone and then say, well, what about, what about the law though? Like we're still supposed to be obedient to God. We're still supposed to pursue holy lives. And Paul gives us kind of ammo uh, that, that helps us to understand how we can attack that particular issue. And he does that through showing us that this motivation that we now have if we're Christians, for living the Christian life. And, and that one motivation that we have is grace. The one motivation for living the Christian life is grace. This is contrary to Peter's motivation. When we look in 11 through 14, there's a few different things we can look to for, for what his motivation may have been. Maybe it was forgetfulness about how the gospel had come to break down this wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles that we see in Ephesians chapter two. Maybe his motivation was the fear of man, that he wanted to, to withdraw from the Gentile Christians so that he could be thought of highly by his brothers. 
Maybe his motivation in living the Christian life in that moment was that he had some sort of ethnic superiority, thinking of himself more highly than his brothers. Whatever his motivation was, it ran counter to the actual motivation that should animate the Christian life, which is grace. It's the only right motivation for the Christian life. And it's important as we even think on that, that we see how, how subtly we can, rem- we can move from being kind of recipients of grace to being those who work for their salvation and demand that other people do the same thing. This is what Peter is doing. He's moving from this understanding of grace being this gift that he himself has received to then seeing that there's some work that needs to be done so that he can receive salvation and that others need to also engage in this work. He's, he's betraying gospel freedom in doing this. But we, in our own lives, we can subtly make this same move we can very quickly realize how the, the fastest way to, to ruin a gift is to assume that you are now in debt to the gift giver, that you now owe something as opposed to simply being the recipient of grace that you never deserved in the first place. And I'm reminded even as you think about this idea of grace being a motivating factor in, in life, in the Christian life, if you've ever seen the 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 movie or read the book or seen the play of uh, Les Miserables. Maybe you're familiar with this story. But in the story, there's two characters that kind of emerge as the main characters. You have Jean Valjean, who's this criminal who you find in the opening scene is, is kind of working the chain gang and is kind of paying the dues for his, uh, what he has done wrong. And you have this other character, Javert, who is uh, essentially a taskmaster and a keeper of the law who is, is always chasing down those who would break the law. And what happens in the story is that Jean Valjean, this character who is working the chain gang, is eventually paroled. And when he's on parole, he befriends or is befriended by this parish priest in a local church. And they, they develop this relationship. And then one day, some valuables go missing from the, the church. One day, some valuables get removed. And the first thought is it's going to be this criminal, this one who has the past, as one who has committed uh, or broken the law. And so the, the authorities are called and they come out and there's this moment where the parish priest, this powerful moment where he realizes what is going to happen to Jean Valjean if he is in fact uh, considered to have broken his parole. And in thinking about that, he starts to kind of obscure what may have happened. He starts to, to kind of uh, cover over the fact that Jean Valjean may have actually been the one who stole these valuables from the church. And it's this profound moment of grace that's shown towards Jean Valjean by this parish priest. And it's a grace that the other character, Javert, can't stand. He says justice must be had, the law must be meted out, he must be brought to justice, must be put back into prison And yet Jean Valjean, this one who you may think, having experienced grace, will simply go on to the next place and take advantage of them there, doesn't do that at all. He is profoundly moved by this experience. He, maybe for the first time in his life, stands as a recipient of grace, and it motivates him in a unique way for the rest of his life, sets him on a completely different trajectory And Javert, this other character, this keeper of the law, we see that his life spirals out of control because of his desire that justice be served. He has no category for grace. 
And in all of that, we see that, that, that Jean Valjean's character is, is a great kind of symbol of how grace can motivate the Christian life. How it doesn't have to lead us to saying, okay, if we can't uphold the law, then we'll just break it at every turn. In no way is that the case. When we receive grace in the gospel, we are changed by that. And this desire for obedience to Christ, for pursuing holiness, is now from grace instead of for grace, instead of trying to earn it. And so we don't want to drown the the grace of God that has saved us in, in a sea of our own works. We don't want that to be what is said about us. We want to embrace this reality that we're working from grace and not for it in the Christian lives. We want to see that we run the Christian life better with the grace of God at our backs than with the weight of the law in our our legs. That we run the, the Christian life better with the grace of God at our backs than the weight of the law in our legs. And Paul, he presents it in such a profound way there where he talks about how we die with Christ and we now live to God. This kind of encapsulating the, the, the great reality of the Christian life, that it's a denial of self, that it's a, a putting faith in someone else in this righteousness that is not our own, and that it's then being able to, being freed up to live a Christian life in a, in a completely new way, no longer under the burden of the law, but instead freed up by the grace of God. And so I I just simply want us to see that we're gonna be resting in, we're gonna be building on some sort of foundation in this new year. And I want us to ensure that it's it's the pure truth of the gospel. I want us to ensure that, that we see that salvation will come through justification by faith. I want us to see that our motivation to live the Christian life is grace, And I want that to be the case so that we can enjoy gospel freedom that is held out to us. I want want there to be more leaning on, I want there to be more resting in all that Christ has accomplished for us in the gospel in 2022. Less trusting in our own works to earn us anything in God's sight. And so I simply leave you with this, that I charge you that you would take hold of and that you would enjoy this gospel freedom that is available to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have set things up in such a way. God, that you've given us the law as a means for exposing our own sinfulness. God, that you've shown us your perfect holy character through the law. But God, that you have not left us to try to figure out how to keep the law, Lord, but you have recognized our frailty, God, our inability to do such a thing. God, you've recognized our our brokenness, our fallenness, the wickedness of our hearts, Lord. And rather than doling out punishments rather than pouring out wrath. God, you've poured out grace. God, you've poured out mercy into our hearts, Lord. And this is profoundly different than the way that everything else in our world works, God. 
Lord, we thank you, God, that in the good news of Jesus Christ for us, that we have a, a means through which we can be saved, Lord. So God, would you help us even this morning, Lord, for those who are Christians, would you help us to become those who, who loosen our grip even more on the works of the law, God, that you would not allow us to be those Christians who, while saved by grace, go on to think that works is going to keep them in grace. No, God, would you completely undercut that effort, Lord, and would you instead replace it with this simple understanding that the Christian life is all of grace, Lord, that we're brought into relationship with you by grace through faith in Jesus, Lord, and that if that is true, then no work that we perform after the fact will do anything to, to earn us more favor with you, God. We, if we are Christians who put faith in Jesus, are ones on whom you have smiled, Lord, and your smile does not become a frown, God. And so we thank you that that is true, Lord. If there are those here this morning who have not put faith in Jesus, Father, I pray, Lord, that this good news of gospel freedom would land with them in, in a profound way this morning, God, that they would see that the Christian life is not primarily about keeping law, God, that it's about resting in grace. Lord, we need this message week after week after week because we are prone to forget and to move on, to lose even the wonder that is contained in the message of the gospel, this message that grace is for us, Lord. And so God, I pray that that would not be the case for us this year, that we would rehearse the truths of the gospel each day and each week. And that in doing so, we would become these Christians who live in the enjoyment of the freedom that we have in the gospel, not those burdened by the law, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, for all that he has done at the cross to secure salvation, reconciliation to you, God. Let us rest in his finished work and not in our own work. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.